0: Welcome to Lessons for Leaders. This week, I'm talking to Charlotte Turnbull about preventing stress in the workplace. We discuss what managers and employers can do to support a workplace environment and get the best out of their employees. We also talk about how a workplace can be a kinder place for everybody. Charlotte explains some really simple changes that employees can do to get the best out of their people and why it makes good business sense to look at preventing stress in the workplace. And Shala also shares her one thing for employers to focus on in order to save money. So join me on today's episode. So welcome to Lessons for Leaders, each week, I bring you lessons, learnings, tips and advice to enable you to lead with ease in business without the stressed out and overwhelm. so that I help you increase your performance, be resilient and thrive in life. I'm Emma Langton, your host, leadership coach and workplace trainer, helping you and your workforce increase that performance, improve well-being and make the impact that you want in the world. Now, recently, I've been seeing an increase in organisations contacting me to discuss wellbeing workshops for their employees. Even though we've got a lockdown timeline for releasing restrictions, I'm seeing an upturn in stress levels and it's affecting performance and mental wellbeing, particularly when we're being challenged with w- remote working. So if that's the same for your organisation, then I have a limited amount of virtual workshops that I'm able to tailor and deliver to your organisation. So that over the next six weeks, we can ensure that your people are able to reduce those stress levels, even in challenging situations, so that they're able to get proven coping strategies and be able to perform at their best whilst improving their mental health and well-being. If you want to talk about this support or any longer-term plans, then get in touch with me at my website, emmalankton.com, and we can have a conversation about what we can do to support you. One client said, Emma's training honed in on current issues perfectly and she was able to vocalise what the group were feeling and pinpoint the underlying causes and issues whilst also offering very attainable and actionable solutions. The feedback has been fantastic and the team is much more confident and better engaged and able to focus on their work. I would highly recommend Emma blushes but yes that's exactly what it is that I do so please do get in touch with me I'm always happy to have conversations if you're not ready to do that yet then you can get onto my newsletter again link in the show notes and information on my website at emmalankton.com the newsletter sends out tips information statistics the latest reports and the current organizational trends that are happening right now so that you don't have to dig around for it it comes out monthly so you can guarantee that i won't be spamming you and finally a request from me that if you haven't hit the subscribe button or left a review for me then please do go and find the little button and leave a review let me know your key thoughts and your takeaways and what you value most from the podcast. If you hit subscribe it makes sure that you never miss another episode. So today I'm joined by Charlotte Turnbull. Charlotte is an employment solicitor with over 15 years experience and she has a passion for educating businesses for them to be great places to work through improving employee wellbeing being engagement and managing teams so Charlotte welcome to the show. Thank you Emma it's it's lovely to be here thanks for inviting me. So it's great to have you here we have got a kind of shared passion about sort of stress in the workplace and how that affects people's well-being can you tell us a little bit about where that passion for those sort of stress levels and well-being from work has come from?
1: I think for me, it, it's, um, it, it's come from many different places, actually.
0: So as most people will
1: probably appreciate, being in the legal profession itself can be quite stressful. Uh, you know, obviously, it takes quite a long time to qualify, lots of studying involved. And then once you get there, actually, you know, there's quite a few egos. I've had some great managers. I've had some terrible managers. Traditionally, certainly when I started out, 17 years ago when I started my training contract, um, it was very much a long hours culture. You know, lots of presenteeism in the office. Um, people. I mean, I used to work with somebody that did nothing in the day other than, you know, online shopping and bits and pieces. But then would stay late and deliberately talk about what time she was in the office till the, the night before. And it's, it's not the most flexible, friendly place to be. Although a lot has changed in recent years. So I've sort of got that as a background. It's very um, stressful environment. When I was a trainee as well. I don't know how many people know you have to do a two year training contract before you qualify. I was also a volunteer on the trainee solicitors group. So we had a, a helpline to set up so people could, could ring us. They could talk to us about any issues they were having while they were training, whether that was a workload issue, a management issue or actually a stress and mental health issue. As part of my training for that role, we had a weekend way up in Nottingham and we had the Samaritans come in and train us on active listening and, and those sorts of things. And that's, In my view, I'm going off on a tangent a bit here. But that's a really, really useful skill that's often overlooked. So that's the kind of a, a bit of the background. But then move on to actually starting work as qualified solicitor. Obviously, I have a passion for employment law. And, you know, we spend so much time at work. It's really important that the workplace is somewhere that we're happy. Now, there's always stresses involved in, in, in all jobs, actually. And, you know, a certain amount of pressure is good, it's motivating, it's, it can be really good for an individual, but actually there comes a point when it crosses the line and becomes unhealthy and, and becomes stressful. So not only have I experienced that myself, as I sort of mentioned briefly earlier, I've worked in some places where there's particular unhelpful cultures, there's poor management, but also I've acted for employees in bringing claims against their employer for stress at work. And... I remember reading through one of the cases that I was working on, um reading all the medical reports and this person's statement of events that had led to her being admitted to uh, a hospital. And I remember thinking, gosh, this is terrible and this shouldn't be happening. You know, we should not be going to work and being damaged and broken by these these practices that happen in the workplace. And I want to stop it from happening. It doesn't have to be that way. There are many, many ways in which employees can motivate, employers can motivate their employees. It doesn't have to go back to this kind of traditional, almost bullying that we see in certain professions. So, yeah, I I just want to stop that from happening. I want to educate businesses on, you know, why they should care. And it's not a nice to have, and it's not, oh, we're, we're great caring employers, Actually, it does affect the bottom line as well, So it makes good business sense for employers to care about this kind of stuff.
0: That's such a, yeah, that's such a, 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 you know, a compelling story there, really, isn't it? About both the professional front and the personal front. And, you know, I can relate to an awful lot of what you say through my what feels like hundreds of years of working experience, quite honestly. In the corporate world, you know, there was a very big in some of the organisations I worked with, a very big sort of that authoritarian that, you know, was, is it touching on bullying attitude? And I've seen the impact of stress and anxiety as well with people, which is why I kind of chose to niche down in that area as well when I first started my business. But I do do some work in kind of educating people about the effects of stress. Obviously, and what people can do to help themselves, but also how, you know, that that point that you made about active listening—that is so important—and so that there is work that I do with managers and leaders as well with that. But how do you think employers can prevent that sort of stress in the workplace?
1: It's a really good question, actually. Um, so before our um, our meeting today, I was uh, doing some research and I was looking at the latest labour force survey. So, that's a survey carried out by the Office for National Statistics. I think it's yearly. Um, so, we don't have um, the, the COVID results in yet. No. Uh, the most recent one was 2019 20. There's some really um, surprising and shocking statistics in there. So, according to the Labour Force survey, there's 828,000 workers suffering from work related stress, depression, or anxiety. And that has led to 17.9 million working days lost. Now, according to a, a study undertaken by Deloitte, that, the cost of that poor mental health is up to £45 billion a year. I mean, this is something that employers really need to, to take into account. Of those days lost, 51% of them related to work-related ill health. And the main factors um, cited by employees for causing work-related stress was uh, workload, and lack of managerial support now this is something that I see all the time especially in relation to those cases that I mentioned earlier where I acted for employees bringing claims against their employers for work-related stress pretty much every case I've ever worked on they've got too much to do and poor management and it's it's a relatively easy thing to fix actually oh first of all it comes down to culture organizations need to change their corporate culture and understand, uh, improve and understand mental health a bit better than they do at the moment. When it comes to things like workload, what I see a lot is, let's take it back to the beginning of the employee journey. They need, an employer needs somebody new to start a role, whether that's because there's, there's too much work or somebody's leaving. So what they do is they roll out the last job description that they used, goodness knows how many years ago, and just stick that up there and recruit somebody. You know, there's no thought that's gone into actually what's the role now? What do we need? Who's the type of person that we need to do it? What skills do we need that person to have? So it's quite easy that actually just at the starting point, review job descriptions, review responsibilities. Look at who's the right person to do that job. If actually you're not recruiting, you've already got somebody doing that role. Review it every so often. Um, you know, companies do these annual appraisals. Well, sometimes actually they don't do any more appraisals, but even if they do, again, it's just a, yeah. it's a form filling and box ticking exercise. There's no real thought that goes into actually what talent have we got and what do we need these people to do and are the best people in the roles to, to get the best out of them. So a simple thing to do is to look at what's needed, look at the job description, look at the responsibilities, make sure the right people are doing the job. Um, but also, if there's too much work to do for the role, look, look at what is actually happening on the ground. Is it that you're just in a period where you're extremely busy, but it will, it will settle down? In which case, you know, that's OK. That happens. You know, we, we're not um, we're not trying to, um, you know, take loads of responsibility or, or work away from people. But it's not sustainable for that to happen all, all year long. So if there is too much work for the role, what, what can we do? Uh, do we need to recruit somebody else? Uh, do we need to help the employee to prioritise? Uh, you know, perhaps there's aspects that they're, of their role that they're doing that don't really need to be done anymore. They can they can get rid of them. There's lots of things that, that can be done in terms of workload, but again, that comes back to culture. Employees need to feel that they can speak up, that they can go to their managers and say, I'm struggling here, I've got too much to do, without the fear of being judged. Um, as I say, I've worked in, in lots of different industries, but certainly in the professions, there seems to be a real reluctance to talk about it and to ask for help because it's seen as a sign of weakness. And we need to stop that because it is just so, so damaging. And the other thing that employers can do or the, the managers can do is to actually actively monitor what their, their team are doing. So not only looking at the workload, but actually looking at their working time. Are they taking proper breaks? Is the, does the workplace have a culture where breaks are acceptable?
0: And taking these breaks as well is so important. I mean, you know, because I do obviously a lot of work with boundaries as well. And, you know, having really good boundaries actually reduces stress levels, which is you know, a topic of conversation that the, the, the listeners will have heard me saying quite a lot recently. And having, you know, the boundaries don't have to be rigid. They can still be flexible. So we can be a little bit flexible about, sort of when those lunch breaks are or what those sort of car hours look like they've definitely been flexible through covid with people needing to homeschool and things like that then there's going to be used to holidays coming through and things like that so there's always different things that are going to come through to challenge the way that people work and I'm always saying to people look at different ways and different people that can do a job so say even just for example if I'm updating my website there's somebody else that can do it faster, and so much quicker than me it doesn't mean that I can't do it, but if it's not something that I absolutely love and it's not something that I'm enthusiastic about then it is naturally going to take me a bit longer because that's how we're wired as human beings. And when organisations begin to recognise this as well, if they've got somebody in that's like loving the tech on something or, you know, loving all the IT tools and things on something, then that delegation can be really really beneficial not to just to that workload but to how much the job gets done how efficient it is and you know spreading it out uh, across the team with people that will take on a job that they absolutely love
1: so simple it's yeah. a really simple change that employers can do to get the best out of their employees but it takes a little bit of time at the outset to work out what needs doing and who's best to do it but I mean that's that's part of the job of a manager and talking there about the, the blurred boundaries and the, the taking breaks and the long hours culture in some professions, and I think a lot of managers may, maybe don't know, um, certainly business owners and senior leadership should know, that there's actually laws relating to this, there's the working time regulations. Um, so a lot of people only know about that because of the um, the opt-out. A lot of people have probably been asked to sign something that says they opt-out of the 48-hour work week or whatever it might be. But actually, it's more than that. Um, there are rules around how many hours off a day you need to have, how many after how many hours of working you need to take a break, and how many consecutive days you can work. And I, I know that organisations that have just completely ignored this and have their an employees working seven days a week. And not only is it breaking the law, but it's, it's really unhealthy and, and leads to poor mental health.
0: Absolutely. And this is one of the things that I talk to people about as well. You know, I kind of say, well, you know, we need that. We need that downtime. It's not people often um, kind of roll their eyes, I suppose, really about when I talk to people about self-care. But when I talk to people about recharging and thinking of your, your brain and your body, as like a rechargeable battery, if you like. And people may take a rest, but they're not switching the brain off. You know, they're still there thinking about the work that they're doing. or they are still flicking through emails whilst they're watching TV at night? whether that's because uh, right now we COVID, people are bored or whether it's that they're feeling the pressure because of different situations, but actually, yes, that culture coming down saying, please take proper breaks, please, you know, please make sure you're taking time to recharge, sharing examples of the things that the leaders have done, etc., means that it gives, it almost gives other people permission, if you like, as if we need it. But it's it is setting that culture as well that that does need to come from the top
1: absolutely I mean, many years ago when i was a, a junior solicitor i worked for a boss that worked or appeared to work 24 7 and she would send emails i mean this was in the days before iphones we had blackberries and um she would send emails at all hours and as a junior i re- i felt obliged she was my boss i had to reply and it, it's a, again it's a really unhealthy culture to get into that habit where you are laying in bed at night at 10 11 o'clock on your blackberry replying to work emails now i'm more senior i am i have a bit more confidence in myself that i can say no that's enough i'm not that can wait but as a junior you're often very reactive to whatever your manager asks of you
0: completely and this is something when i do the the kind of setting healthy boundaries type training and things for organizations and i definitely say to people make the technology work for you so whether you're just putting that in your email signature whether you're putting it on your answer phone message whether you're doing an auto response thing, but you can, you know, the technology can mean that we're kind of always contactable all of the time, but we can also make sure that we make it work for us, but we also need other people within the organization to set that example and to follow that example and to demonstrate it in order that Everybody else knows that it's actually okay to do that too, and I've seen this in organisations where there was that authoritarian type culture, and you know, you, they, you know, people were just. I, I went into a one place and asked somebody there was something that needed sorting, and I, and I kind of went and I had a conversation with somebody, and I said, I went back and I went, right, that's all sorted. Did you shout at them? I like, no, I never shouted at them, and this culture of right, well, we'll just you know, we'll just sort of uh, you know, bully force. Um, shout at people to to get them to do things and if that culture is passed down nobody really knows anything any different within that
1: yeah so i am um, i mean i've seen that myself as well I've, I've seen lots of um business owners essentially micromanaging people and it, it's just bonkers you as a business you hire people to do a job and you hire them because they've got the skills to do that job perhaps skills that you don't have and then you try to tell them how to do that job well you know, I don't understand why businesses would do that, why they would micromanage somebody. It would make them feel um, that they weren't trusted. It makes them feel that they're not good enough. It erodes self-confidence, self-esteem, but also they're probably better at that particular aspect of their job. That's why you've hired them to do it.
0: Absolutely. And those managers actually have got a job to do elsewhere as well. So it's very costly for them to be kind of, like you say, micromanaging somebody that's that's basically on a lower pay grade. It can be very costly in that respect as well. But, you know, training managers, how to manage people, how to have conversations with people, how to do that active listening that you were talking about. The way that you can talk to people that that is encouraging and supportive, that gets them to, you know, go the extra mile and to do the things and to want to do the things that, that, that they are doing. All of that, when managers have those skills, reduces the stress levels of both managers and the rest of the team. And then obviously when the stress levels are lower, people are much more engaged and they are, but they are, you know, this happier at work. Some people can go, yeah, but what does that kind of mean anyway? Well, and then ultimately what it means is that the people's feel good chemicals are higher actually. And when you feel good chemicals are higher, you've got that little buzz and you've got that lightness in your step or whatever analogy you want to put around it, haven't you? And then they are more willing and more enthusiastic about doing the job that they're doing and also they're not looking over their shoulder they're not worrying they haven't got this nagging you know doubt or or fretting or anything like that about doing their job so then actually they can focus and then the productivity is better because they can focus more they can do the job better they can do it faster they can work smarter and I think a lot of places forget that it has all of this positive impact on uh, on each of the individuals and then mood itself is kind of contagious so if you've got somebody that's nice and upbeat that mood is going to be quite contagious to everybody else and then everybody else is going to feel upbeat even in difficult times and and adversity
1: absolutely something else that i've seen as well from from more of a, a legal perspective is let's let's not um sugarcoat things sometimes work can be difficult it can be stressful uh, sometimes you might have the wrong people doing the the wrong jobs. They're not performing well, and managers have a duty to obviously manage that and and to deal with it. And that might be working with that particular employee to get them more engaged or get them a bit more motivated, or maybe they're just not the right person, and you need to take some action. And that action might be some kind of disciplinary action. It might actually lead to termination. Who knows? But managers shy away from this. And I get it. It's hard. It's really difficult to have these difficult conversations. Um, And again, if you're not trained in it, it's really easy to just stick your head in the sand and just ignore it. But what I found has happened is the employee is also feeling really stressed out and like they're not doing a good job. And they might have valid complaints against the company. And by the manager not actively managing it, we often end up in a situation where something might happen you might be a heat of the moment dismissal or something else that causes an employee to to bring a complaint to the employment tribunal and most of the time it could have been resolved if the manager had dealt with it at an early stage
0: absolutely absolutely if places were to start with just one thing what do you think that would be
1: training absolutely training. in my view employers need to invest more time and effort into selecting the right people to manage And then making sure that they have ongoing training to support them in their managerial journey. Um, Absolutely. If their companies haven't got much money, they should invest in manager training.
0: Yeah, completely. And fortunately, what I'm seeing right now is that that there was um, obviously everybody spent 2020 kind of firefighting um, with, you know, what on earth is happening and what's going on. So a lot of my coaching programs were cancelled, postponed and, um, you know, just not taken up and it was there was a lot of sort of plug-in well-being things what i am seeing now which is really really good is that organizations are beginning again to look at what either training for managers or coaching and sort of developmental type support for their organization so you know in the, certainly the ones that i'm talking to that's good news for for 2021 and because there are going to be different challenges there are going to be different stressors as we move through this, you know, the lockdown and whatever else there is to come. So, yeah, absolutely I'd, I'd entirely agree with you. But the good news is that organizations are looking at that too.
1: That's, that's really good to hear. And I think they need to be very careful when they choose the training that they need. Again, we, we don't want this to be a tick box exercise. We don't want them to just go on Google manager training. Oh, top result comes up because they've paid a load in advertising. We'll just sign them all onto that. They need to look at their business. They need to look at their managers. They need to look at their employees and then select the right training that's really going to support their business it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all actually look at what they need to support their business otherwise they're just wasting their money
0: yeah completely and that's always something that I talk to organizations about as well because um on the other side of it what I don't want is somebody to book me for a piece of training that's not actually the right fit and then they go oh but she was rubbish <laughs> because but then that's not really about me that's about they've, you know they've made the wrong choices so I always have conversations and drill down about you know what it is that's going on and look at what it what seems to be needed what are people saying where are the areas that people are struggling with so yeah you're absolutely right if people wanted to connect with you or get hold of you where can they do that
1: so I've, I've got a profile on LinkedIn. Um, I'm a solicitor at W Legal. We're based in Hoban in London. Uh, obviously, I'm an employment lawyer, head of employment there. Um, but I'm also an ambassador for the for a charity called the International Stress Management Association. And actually, their website's fantastic. There's a huge amount of resource on there that's available for people to access for free. You know, uh, tips on dealing with stress, that kind of thing. But also, the... Can join as a member it's not too expensive if you are a member you get access to free masterclasses we're running those monthly at the moment uh, if you're not a member you can still join those monthly masterclasses they're very reasonably priced about 10 pounds i think um and and really useful on all sorts of tips on i think we've done one recently on collaboration in the workplace uh working from home how to sort of manage those boundaries remotely we've, we've got all sorts of masterclasses lined up as i say they're free for members low cost for non-members but there's a load of stuff on the website that's completely free to access in any event
0: fantastic it is a very good website and I will put the link in the show notes Charlotte thank you so much for joining me today it's been an absolute pleasure to talk about this
1: oh you're very welcome thank you so much for having me
0: So listeners, if you want to know more, the links are all in the show notes. You can get in touch with me too at emma at emmalangton.com to find out more about my coaching and training that I've mentioned or to look at those bespoke plans that we talked about. And then the links will be in the show notes for the ISMA and where you can contact Charlotte. And then I'll see you again in the next episode. Bye for now.